Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you in many forms we have your word in. Uh, Lord, we are, we are grateful for, for these tools and the way we can uh, search it all and these things. We thank you most of all for what your word says about you and your son. Lord, uh, pray for Wendy tonight as she's recovering uh, from these kidney procedures that, that you would have mercy on her and help her get through this and ultimately remove all of these stones. Lord, give us endurance and patience. Father, we, we pray for our country, and uh, we have great, uh, great division among us as, as leaders and ideas. And we thank you for our freedoms, and we do realize uh, to have this level of intellectual freedom uh, leads all of us, uh, leads humanity to express all kinds of ideas and believe all kinds of things. Uh, and we thank you that in that environment we can preach your gospel. And Lord, that we see the hostility which you told us we would certainly run into. For oftentimes our gospel ideas are no longer acceptable. And uh, Lord, we ask for your strength to be faithful uh, and, and gracious all at the same time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, last week we were going through the Great Commission passage of John. So we are at the top. If you, There's some pages left over from last week. We're at the top of page... Somewhere on page 249, my, my screen probably doesn't line up exactly with your printouts, but we're, we're up here in John chapter 20, and I'm going to throw that up on the screen uh, right there. Yeah, okay, and there's three super significant things in there. Then... The same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. And now here's the three statements, uh, very significant. Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That was the first one we considered that last Wednesday, that, that, that God sent his Son into the world to be the revelation of himself. And the only way to know the one and only true God is the fact that God sent his son into the world to reveal himself. And now we are sent on that same mission. Okay? We are sent into the world with the gospel as the means of God revealing himself to humankind and the plan of salvation. And we have that authority. What, what expression does Jesus use in other places that's parallel with this kind of authority? What, what does he say? It's, it's one of those key expressions. 
that relates to as the Father sent the Son, the Son now sends us. Something about hearing and rejecting. Anybody? He who hears you, what? That's correct. <laughs> so this sending is sending with the message. <laughs> We're sent with the message. And it is so real that Jesus says, He who hears you, hears me. He who hears me, hears the Father who sent me. And it's that real. What about the rejection? He who rejects you, what? Rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And, and I tried to get us to grasp the awesomeness of being a Christian. <laughs> okay? In other words, you, when you understand the gospel correctly, and you have those major doctrines of the gospel that are correct, and when you express those to others, they're hearing Christ. You have that much authority. And we're going to see that coming up in this last expression. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who receives you, receives me. He who hears you, hears me. So that sending authority is now in the church through Jesus' disciples. Um, and that's why we can tell people we're not inviting them to Christ Christ is inviting them through us. We're publishing his invitation. Okay, we'll see that in a passage later here tonight. You see, we're informing them. He's inviting you. That's the, his invitation. When we read that gospel promise, when we tell an unbeliever the gospel promise, when we tell someone the promises of God, they're hearing the promises of God. They're hearing him. Okay, it has that much authority. So, and so, uh, <clears throat> so uh, as the Father has sent me, so uh, so will I send you. Okay. Then, of course, the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, down here in verse twenty-two. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So he never gives us a commission that he doesn't give us the equipping. Okay. He's going to send us. <laughs> How are we going to manage to do this? Well, he's going to equip us. And all through John 14, 15, 16, and 17, every time he talks about their commission, what they're responsible to do, he also gives a promise to be with us and to equip us. And he, so the pattern is just here. So there's the sending command and there's the equipping. And now we come to the third significant matter. And it's there in verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So that's where we're picking up tonight on this third significant statement. Uh, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know the word, surprising how few people even know that this statement is in the Gospel of John. Uh, but there it is in, in the commissioning. It's a very important statement. Now, so this statement, this third statement, speaks of their authority 
for this mission. Now, we must not read this statement in view of the errant sacerdotal, that is, priestly theology that developed many centuries later that the church has priests who can call upon God to change bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ and then offer a propitiatory sacrifice to God and procure forgiveness of sins for you. Okay, that of course is Roman Catholicism, right? None of these ideas existed at the time this statement was given. <laughs> okay, that all came centuries later in the history of the church. The idea that we have a human priesthood that can pray to God and turn the, the wine and the bread into the blood and the body of Christ. And then, of course, uh, well, maybe not, of course. Some of you probably maybe aren't familiar with Roman Catholic doctrine and then when the priest, uh, when the priest, how many of you know what transubstantiation means? One, two, anybody else? Transubstantiation. Transformation into substance. Those two words. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the belief that the, during the Lord's Supper, the wine is actually transformed into the literal blood of Christ. Substance, okay, transformed into the substance of the blood of Christ, and the bread is transformed into the substance of the body of Christ. And once that is done, what the Roman Catholic priest is doing, um, since he is a priest in their system, he can pray to God to cause this miracle to happen. Okay, so in other words, every time they celebrate the Mass, they believe this miracle of transubstantiation has happened and these elements have turned into the body and blood of Christ. Now what are they going to do with the body and blood of Christ? They are going to turn and face the altar and they're going to offer a propitiatory, a wrath-appeasing sacrifice. Okay, That's what they're going to do. And, and uh, the Council of Trent anathemizes anybody who says that in the Mass, that the Mass is not a real, true, present, propitiatory offering. You know, let him be accursed. We're, 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 I'm cursed by, by the Roman Catholic system. Okay? So, this text does not mean that. None of these, none of these ideas of transubstantiation and re-offering a sacrifice um, were, were even here when this text was written. Those things are coming 3rd, 4th, 5th century. So, anyways, but that doesn't mean this text is not significant and that we need to understand this, okay? Because it is talking about the church having a tremendous amount of authority in this statement. Whoever sins, uh, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay? So this is the authority for the mission. Now, the correct way to understand Jesus' authority grant to the disciples is in the context of the ending of the Mosaic Covenant priesthood 
the ending of all sacrifices for securing the forgiveness of sins. There's no more Passover lambs. There's no more sin offerings. There's no more altar. There's no more day of atonement. There's no more laying one's hands on the head of the ram. All of this is coming to an end. David prayed, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. What he's referring to when he prayed that way is in, is in those offerings that had the sprinkling of blood. Hyssop was a bush, and you, and you had, you had a, a piece of the hyssop bush, and you dipped it in the blood, and then you sprinkled the blood. And so that's what David, David is, knows he's sinful and he's guilty, and he's thinking of the sacrificial system of the blood being sprinkled for his means of forgiveness. So, all of those things are being ended. So these disciples are going to go out and they're going to tell people how to be right with God and how to have what? Their sins forgiven, aren't they? And it's not going to be follow the Mosaic law. That's over. So, in view of this ending of the Mosaic covenant with its priesthood and its sacrifices, how in the world are people going to receive the forgiveness of their sins? Think if you were a Jewish, a faithful Jewish person a believing Jewish person. How am I going to receive forgiveness if all of these things are ended? That, that's the question. Not only how am I going to receive forgiveness, how am I going to know that I'm forgiven? So, the phrase... <clears throat> and it shall be forgiven him or them, appears ten times in Leviticus chapters 4 and 5 and in Numbers. And uh, I want to look at a few of those. See if we can do this. And we're going to look at, uh, yeah, 420, and then I'll go to 20. Yeah, we can go from 20 down to down to 26 here. Yeah, okay. And he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. So the priest shall make atonement for them. And and here's the phrase. And it shall be forgiven them. Okay. Above this was a priestly uh, ritual. And if the priest does this, this is the promise, and it shall be forgiven them. See that? Okay, there's ten of those expressions in this area of the law. So let, let's look at another one here, 22. Let, let me, we'll, we'll weed this one all the way through. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God, in anything which, which should not be done and is guilty. Okay, so the ruler is guilty. What does that mean? 
What, 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 what is the person experiencing? He knows he's guilty. His conscience is bothering him. You know, he's, he, he's, he's sinned, he's broken. You know, they, they read the law every seven years, they read the entire law, and they're supposed to go to the priest to understand the law. So he's sinned, and he knows he's violated what, any of the commandments. He knows he's violated one of the commandments, he's guilty. Or if his sin, which has, has committed what comes to his knowledge, okay, see, he's, he's, he's aware that he's, been, he's broken God's commandments comes through his knowledge. Well, what is he going to do? How's he going to get, what's he going to do? Well, the law tells him what to do. He shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish, and what? He shall lay his hand on the head of that male, that goat. He lays his hand on that head of the goat and, and kill it, okay? And kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering, the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. And he shall burn all of its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of the priest's offering. Let's go up here. All right. All right. So the priest shall make atonement concerning his sin. That? What? And it shall be forgiven him. There. And shall be forgiven him. We can go through that ten times. <laughs> so there's no uncertainty here what you should do if you're under the Mosaic Covenant and you're guilty <laughs> and you know you've broken God's commandments. And, and this, there's ten, ten times in different situations and different kinds of things. But they all end with that statement, and it shall be forgiven him. In other words, the priest, the, the, the priest that is legitimate, that the point, appointed by the law, has the authority to tell people how their sins can be forgiven. Now that's all ended <laughs> with the coming of Christ. So, what's going on here then is, is uh, I got to go forward here in my own notes here. So, how will anyone receive forgiveness and know they are forgiven when all, when all of these ten statements and so forth are void? Only by the sent, commissioned disciples proclaiming the meaning of Jesus' words on the cross, it is accomplished. How's anyone going to know how to be forgiven? It's when those who are sent explain to people what it means when Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished. We have to explain that. The gospel explains that means of forgiveness. That is the ultimate means of forgiveness, and that's the message we are sent with. People are to receive forgiveness by the disciples following the instruction given in Luke, which relates to Jesus' statement in Luke 24, uh, 44-46. Let's pull that up. 
Then he said to them, thus it is written, and uh, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary, what? For the Christ to suffer. Stop right there. How is anyone going to receive forgiveness? Because the Christ must suffer. The goat and the lamb, all of those had to suffer, correct? And that led to how your sins were forgiven. But that, of course, wasn't the real sacrifice. So how is anyone going to know how to be forgiven? The Christ must suffer. That's part of our message, isn't it? There's no forgiveness without the suffering of the Messiah. That has to be explained. Okay? And that had to be explained to these first century Jews. That Christ must suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And here's the formula. And that repentance for remission of sins should be preached in His name. So no, we're not telling you to go to the temple. We're not telling you to take that... uh, a perfect lamb out of your flock and bring it to the temple. We're not telling you any longer on the day of Passover to get your Passover lamb, show up there and have the priest on that Friday uh, kill a uh, Thursday kill your pa- Friday kill your <laughs> Thursday kill your Passover lamb. No, we're not telling you to do that any longer. So we're 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 telling how your sins can be forgiven. And this is how they're forgiven. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached in Christ's name, you see, in His name. Um, So, these Gentiles are, are no longer to come to Israel's feast in Jerusalem and offer their sacrifices like the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? Ethiopian eunuch came all the way to the feast, right? And that was the right thing for him to do as a proselyte. That was the right, but not anymore. That's not the means of forgiveness anymore. Okay. So, let's keep going. The disciples have authority, just as the priests did, to assure people of all nations that when they repent and believe in Jesus, that their sins are forgiven. Now, look. Maybe it has nothing to do with what you're saying, but you know that um, I was a Catholic, Roman Catholic, before... I start, you know, yeah. uh, before I accepted Christ as my Savior. I mean, my parents, when they came here, they made sure that I behaved. <laughs> so they put me in an all-girls Catholic university. Right. And, and it's one of the things that made me think of how your your sins are forgiven hmm. is you go to confessions and ah. there's this long line of girls right. and there is right. this confession booth 
Yes. And I've seen that priest before, and I had a crush on him. And I thought, I'm not going to tell him what I did. And, he, you know, he'd say, yeah. you are forgiven if you say ten holy marys. Oh, wow, this sounds very familiar. And, I've been and there. all that. Okay. So, and so that's one that? of the reasons why I question the, uh, yeah. the, the, the Catholicism yeah. okay. in general. And I said, if I have sinned to my father and I've done something wrong, why would I go to my mom and ask her for me, my, the, you know, what I've done so that he can forgive me? Why can't I just tell my, my dad about it? Instead of telling my mom, then she can tell him about what I did. And that's, that's one of the reasons of, you know, why I change. Yeah, but what, what, what that Catholic priest is telling people to believe is he has some special connection exactly. with God. God. Yeah. Because your sins aren't just against your mother or against your father. Your sins yeah. are against God. It, so just, just confessing to your biological mother and father when you sinned against them isn't enough. Because when you disobey them, you're disobeying God. And so that's where the priest comes in. Yeah, and he's in, like the in interceptor. That, yeah, intercessor, or right. Intercessor. Yeah, but you or need to realize in that whole Roman Catholic system, the, the efficacy comes from the sacrifice in their theology. The efficacy, the priest himself doesn't have efficacy. What has efficacy is the sacrifice that, that they, yeah. So anyways, but what I'm trying to explain here is what does this statement mean for us as Christians. This great commission passage, that's the key. He who, uh, uh, that's, that's, you know, we can't just leave this out of our thinking. Uh, <clears throat> I got to get back so I can find that statement. Um, <clears throat> you know, this statement, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Okay? That's an important statement for the, to understand the Great Commission. You know, we, we need to know what that means. And, and what I'm saying, what that means is, is that we have, when we have the gospel, we have the authority to tell people, if you repent and believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven. We have the authority to tell people that. And we should be telling them that. You see what I'm saying? And us forgiving the sins of any is, is, is um, uh, telling them how their sins can be forgiven. And, um, uh, and then we have the authority to either what? Baptize them or not, don't we? As church, right? Go into all the nations, make disciples, baptize them. Okay? And when we baptize them, if there's faith and repentance, we are basically, we're not infallible, but we are saying, you're, yeah, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you believe in Christ and you've repented. And that's why you should be baptized. 
And the same thing at the Lord's table. We have the authority to admit or not admit someone to the Lord's table, don't we? That's essentially saying your sins are forgiven. Or if we won't admit a person to the Lord's table, what are we, what are we telling them? We're telling them that we don't know if your sins are forgiven or not. <laughs> So when it when it says um, if you forgive their sins they are forgiven, it's really a, it's it's in reference to the church as a whole, not at individuals. You Is know, right? I I would keep it in that context. Yeah. Uh, but um, I I don't know. I mean, I could argue that either way because when you as an individual, as the Father sent me, so I send you. I don't think you can say that we have to restrict that to the church. I think we have to restrict that to whoever's faithful. Okay, if you're a faithful Christian and 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 you're faithful to the gospel, then when you give that gospel, you, it's the authority of Christ. So in that sense. You can, you can assure someone that if they turn to Jesus, they repent and believe in Jesus, you can tell them your sins will be forgiven. And, and that doesn't flow, all of that does not have to flow through the authority of the church. Okay? I know that, I know that doesn't, you know, that, that, that sounds a little bit shocking. Well, this whole verse is shocking, okay? That, that, that we have not spent much time thinking about. Um, it's, it's a hard saying because the, the idea that if you forgive them, they will be forgiven, it seems to give the authority to the, to the, the person. I know that's not the, the point of it, but just right. the, the saying itself, at, at first glance, is what it looks like. Yeah, right, it is. But we have the rest of the New Testament to know that it's Christ who promises forgiveness. So it's it's think of the think of the high priest. Um, he if he did the ritual correctly and the person submitted to that, then the high priest said what? Then your sins shall be forgiven. So that's how I think of it. Okay. You know, in a, in a Leviticus passage, the high priest has the authority. When, when uh, the proper sacrifice is brought and the proper ritual is followed, the high priest has the authority to say, and his sin shall be forgiven him. So, uh, so these are sending passages, you see. The, these are authority passages that, that Christ's disciples are sent into the world with this awesome authority. And, and so... We need not to like flee from something like this because of the abuse like in the Roman Catholic system. You know, we really, we really shouldn't do that. Um, so let, let me go a little further, okay? Yeah. All right. Where was it? Okay. Oh, yeah. So... Um, Peter stands up in the day of Pentecost. This is a more con a concrete example. 
Um, and so the disciples have this authority, just as the priest did, I'm, I'm repeating that, for all nations, that when they repent and believe in Jesus, that their sins are forgiven. Um, so now, we, we now say, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, what? For the remission of sins. So there, there, right there. I'm, I'm, tying, I'm tying that authority in John into this type of address. Uh, and, I, and I am saying there's a commonality there, that if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain, they are retained. I'm, I'm, I'm proposing that we understand those statements together. Uh, none can forgive sins but God alone. We know that. But there's a medium that that takes place in. And the medium that that takes place in is faithful disciples preaching the faithful gospel. Uh, so Peter can say, repent. He can command them all, repent and let every one of you, what? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. Basically, and, his, and your sin shall be forgiven you. So, um, now, we might be slow to appreciate the magnitude of Jesus' statements in John and Luke. Remember, the Pharisees grumbled when Jesus told the paralytic lowered through the ceiling, man, your sins are forgiven you. Okay? Jesus told them that. And the faithful disciples go out into the world and proclaim repentance and remission of sins in Jesus' name. They can assure all who respond that that their sins are forgiven. Um, Marsh, I'm quoting from someone else now, Marsh, quote, there is no doubt from the context that the reference is to forgiving sins or withholding forgiveness. But though this sounds stern and harsh, it is simply the result of the preaching of the gospel which either brings men to repent as they hear of the ready and costly forgiveness of God, or it leaves them unresponsive to the author, the offer of forgiveness which is in the gospel, so they are left in their sins. End quote. Um, now that question the Pharisees asked, who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly, that's what we are proclaiming. Consider these verses from John. Who can forgive sins but God, God alone? Follow me here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <laughs> so who can, who, can, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, who is Jesus? He's God. <laughs> right? And he's God in the flesh. And the next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and says what? Behold thee what? Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So, 
we have the authority to tell people right there, <laughs> there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You believe in Him, your sins will be forgiven. Okay. I'm not forgiving them, <laughs> but I am telling them, just like the priest says, you do this and your sin shall be forgiven. So that's how I, that's how I understand that. Um, now, um, where are we here? Okay. Yeah. I think I already said all of that. Um, uh, let's see. Now. Yeah, this result is an extension of the sending authority. He who hears you, hears me. <laughs> okay? So that's, that's quite a connection, isn't it? He who hears you, hears me. Okay? And so when we're proclaiming Christ's offer of forgiveness, not just us proclaiming it, they're hearing Him. They're hearing Him. Um. Uh, he hears you, hears me, and when we make Christ's invitations known and people respond to them, we can assure them that their sins are forgiven. Now, can we do that infallibly? No. Okay? No, we cannot do that infallibly. Uh, only God infallibly knows. So, we are to uh, fence the table, the Lord's table, Okay? to use that expression. And can we do that infallibly? No, we can't. But we certainly should attempt to do that. And that's admitting or not admitting. Okay? And we should do that. Um, and we always speak that way at, at our Lord's Suppers. You've been to our Lord's Suppers and we always make it clear one way or another that um, if you're not a believer or you're unsure about that, you shouldn't be participating in, in the supper. Now, however, Jesus' endowment of authority, both sides of that must be practiced. The, he whose sins you retain, they are retained. There's two sides to this. So, the faithful church has the authority to tell people their sins are not forgiven. Correct? Sure you do. I mean, with unbelievers, you tell them. Your sins aren't forgiven. You don't even know who Jesus Christ is. You haven't repented, believed in Him. So, Your sins aren't forgiven. Right? Isn't that what... I mean, I, it almost sounds shocking, right? We live in a culture that's like universalism. Everybody's forgiven. Everybody's going to heaven. The church has come silent on the second part of that commission. You see what I'm saying? The church is silent on the second part of that endowed authority. We should be telling people they're lost. And now here's how you can be saved, but you are lost right now. You see what I'm saying? We have authority to do that and, 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 and call people to faith in Christ. But what a universalistic 
gospel does is assure people they're forgiven before they've ever repented. That's what it does. I mean, nowadays, with someone like Bell, Rob Bell, I mean, these guys are, these guys are assuring people are forgiven when they, people don't even know it just because of their universalism. Christ died for everyone in their theology, not in Reformed theology, we've been talking about that, but Christ substituted, he died for everybody, therefore, every, and he loves everybody, therefore, everybody's sins are forgiven, period, whether you believe or repent or anything. So that's complete, that's apostasy. What the church is supposed to be doing is right here, making it clear, yeah, your sins are forgiven, yours aren't. Okay. And that's part of our great that's part of the commission and, and, and the authority. Um, and that of course uh, well I, I don't want to get ahead of my own notes here. Uh, yeah, okay. That is what's coming up next. So there's a parallel here with Matthew sixteen and eighteen, which I'm which I'm going to throw up here the the, uh, the church discipline passages. Uh, Matthew 16, 17 through 19. Uh, this is where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. So uh, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay? So this is Matthew's version of John's uh, they're forgiven or they're retained. So again, this is an authority verse. The church is given, the true church is given this kind of authority. And what are the keys? The keys are admission to the kingdom or not. The keys are what let you in. <laughs> and, it's, and it's the faithful church that has the authority to say, you're in, you're not. <laughs> okay? And... Uh, uh, and this, of course, in Matthew 18, turns into uh, uh, the, the church discipline passage. Let me look at my own notes here. I want to quote something here from Kostenberger. Kostenberger explains that the binding and the loosening, he explains it this way, quote, In a Jewish context, the expression binding and loosing described the activity of a judge who declared persons innocent or guilty and thus bound or loosed them from the charges made against them. Okay. And um, I'm looking for my statement about the kingdom. Uh, I can't find it. Okay. So now this is repeated in Matthew 18. Uh, we'll go there, right there. And... Uh, <clears throat> Let's back up just a tiny bit. And, you know, this is the, the church discipline passage where um, 
and if he and if he will not hear the two or three witnesses, uh, take with you one take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, okay. Here's the, the, the loosing. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Okay. So that's the authority of the church um, where the person will not repent. The person professes to be a Christian, but they will not. They're, they're, they're living in a way that falls under the condemnation, the clear condemnation of Scripture that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's three or four explicit statements like that. Okay? And Matthew 18 ends up there. Okay? If your brother sins, you reprove him. If he repents, great, you've gained your brother. But if he continues to refuse, you bring two or three witnesses. And if they won't listen to two or three witnesses, finally you tell it to the church. And if they won't listen to the church then you let him be to you, what? As an unconverted person. God alone absolutely knows. Again, we're not expected, the church is not expected to be omniscient or infallible. But with the best of the evidence that we have, that's why this process says brings two or three witnesses, you see, to the non-repentance of the individual. Those witnesses are doing two things. We're getting off on that subject now a little bit. Those witnesses are also like helpers to encourage reconciliation, to encourage repentance. Okay, That's what those witnesses are supposed to do. But those witnesses are also witnesses of the impenitence. That, you know, this guy is, uh, pr- you know, practicing adultery. He's been practicing adultery for, you know, a year and, and, you know, he's got to cut off that relationship. You know, he's married and he's got to repent of this. And, you know, we have, you know, gone to him multiple times and he refuses. You know, he refuses to break off that, that relationship. And now you have two or three witnesses of his refusal. And, but all of that said, the church has authority to do that. And the binding and the loosing is 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 the terminology he used here and 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 by the way let him be to you like a a uh, tax collector and a sinner that doesn't mean you hate the guy you, <laughs> that means he's the object of evangelism that's all that means right what do you do with every tax collector and harlot and sinner you evangelize them you love on them you you know you want to bring them to repentance so so this isn't some you know angry, hateful, hateful, mean thing. You, but you're not going to treat him like a brother. That's how Paul says in, um, in the Corinthian passage. Okay, we'll use the, use the microphone here. Okay. What if that person repents or repented Okay, has not in you know, was not excommunicated or whatever was the punishment. And then a few years later, he's back to the same old problem. 
well, adultery we go or the same whatever. Pro- we go through the same the process. Same we, How many times there, uh, can I don't you forgive this guy? I mean, I know that... 70 times 7. 70 <laughs> times 7. I know that uh, Christ had given, given us that much. And okay. But you, you don't... You just keep doing the process of... You go after the lost after, sheep. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah, I, and you said. And that's how te- we would want to be treated, correct? Okay, that's how yes, you would yeah. want to be treated, and right? You said tell it to the church. Yes. That means the members. Yes. Has to be aware of this thing. Absolutely. That's happening. Yeah, we've done it. We've done, we've had three cases since yeah, I've been here. Yeah, I know one case. No, yeah, no, we've had three cases. And I, I mean, we're very. You can read our Thank membership you. booklet. It's all all that process is described in 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 our membership booklet. But what we're trying to understand here is, from John's view of the Great Commission, he those statements show us that this authority that the that Christians and the faithful churches have, and and uh, that's taken us, of course, to this Matthew sixteen and eighteen passage about the keys. Um, so, and uh, the church is responsible to use that authority. And many, many churches in America have failed to use that authority. Um, and, and that's part of the reason we're in kind of the state we're in. Uh, and I mean, it's not pleasant. It's just like disciplining your children correct? It's not a pleasant thing to do. Um, but boy, it's an expression of love, isn't it? And, and anytime we're on these subjects, I always try to remember to say, you know, no one, the, the Peter passage here, and the, the Matthew passage, no one is formally disciplined because of sin they're formally disciplined because of a refusal to repent from sin. Okay? And that's a very important distinction. We all stumble and we got to ask God's forgiveness. And we stumble and we ask God's forgiveness. And we stumble and we ask for His help. Or we stumble and we ask another brother and sister to pray for us. You know, we don't defend ourselves. We, we, we confess our sins and he's faithful and just what? To forgive us our sins. And, and we're not justifying ourselves, you see. And so that re- repentance like faith is active, correct? We believe every day, we repent every day. And so nobody ends up here um, because of sin, but it's a failure to, an un- unwillingness to, to repent. repent. Okay. I, like I said, this person repented. And so are you going to let him, you know, uh, join the church every Sunday or Wednesday or whatever? You know, once he, he can repent- attend the church even before he repents because unbelievers are welcome to come no. to our worship services to hear the gospel preached. So I just needed to jump in there. To, to, I mean... The way this is practiced is not that, all right, you're a heathen and a tax collector, don't you dare set foot in this church again. 
No. We're, we, we, we treat the person like we treat any unbeliever. We want them to be in church. We want them to hear the gospel. So even though they were ex excommunicated or was shut off from the church, they are still welcome to attend? Absolutely. They're not welcome to the Lord's table. Not, okay. That's, and nor, nor would we baptize them. Nor would they, nor would they vote in a congregational meeting, okay. Nor would they serve in a capacity in the church, mm -hmm. but they're they're absolutely. They're I, I think our our membership booklet spells all that out. Okay. They're actually welcome to attend, yeah. but since it's made public, I, it's been made public. So when you go up to that person, you don't say, "Hi, brother John." Ah, you're not going to talk that way anymore to that person. Why? Because you're letting him be like he's not converted. So you're not going to call him a brother. But you can be nice to him. Oh, you should be nice. <laughs> but you can't call him a brother. brother. See, you can't treat him as if he's a converted person. Because I had this experience. It was one of those church Christmas program and this person and the daughter was sitting by me and I really didn't know how to react because I've not seen them for a while but I was trying to be nice and talk I, mean, I didn't call him brother but I was just saying to the daughter, I said, how are you? How are you doing? And she said, I'm okay. Yeah. But I, I saw them. They were, you know, a, you know. A, right. So, a, I mean, I'm, I'm not no, quite understanding. Okay. Okay. Was that person under formal discipline you're talking yes. about? Yes. He, he is. Yeah. Well, it says, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And what that means is they're the object of evangelism. That's what it is is I feel sad for yes. the family, Absolutely. especially the the kids. Sure, because okay. they're you okay. know they're I think adults yeah. now. Okay, and the wife. That's fine. Thank okay. you. Okay. So, um, so yeah, the Matthew eighteen nineteen passage, along with John, there the, those the, and the keys, those concepts relate and uh, uh, so okay I think I'm I'm almost at the end of that one and our time's kind of other other questions um, yeah I'm not saying my my view here is perfect by any means uh, but we should be acquainted with with these with these passages, and I'm probably re repeating myself, but this part of John's great commission <laughs> is, uh, as the Father sent me, so I send you, and with that sending is a lot of spiritual authority. <laughs> if one is faithful, or the church is faithful. Any question or thoughts? All right. You're close, Dan. I was thinking about this. Go ahead. Give, give him the mic. <laughs>
I was just thinking about the passage that we went over, uh, I don't remember the verse, but uh, a few weeks ago about, um, it's known as the Great Commission, go into the world, baptizing them in the name yeah. of the Father. That, again, that would be for the church, right? That's not like for individuals to baptize oh, that, in the yeah, name of the Father. Yeah, that's definitely a church context. Right. I, absolutely. Because a lot of people point to that as, that's to everybody, the Great Commission. We should, of course, we should share the gospel, but they go to that passage to point to what we should do, but actually that's specifically was for those, for the, the apostles. Bapt- to baptize them at, at that time. Well, the, 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 first off, the, uh, the authority there, the 12 are being commissioned there as apostles, but there's more disciples there than, than the 12, than the 11. So, um, and the reason there's two, yeah, there's two or three things here at once. Um, some have tried to limit that Great Commission command to only the 12. And one of the reasons that, and the sending authority, one of the reasons that doesn't work is because when Jesus sent out the 70, he gave them the same commission. He who hears you, hears me. So, so that's one of the problems. If you try to confine that just to the 12, it doesn't work when he sent out the 70. Because he sent out 70 of his disciples. And, and, you know, and he gave them that sending authority. They weren't all apostles. So, but what's described in Matthew 28, it's a church thing. Individual believers are involved in this, but they don't do that individually. They don't do that outside of the church. See, you see, see what I'm uh, trying to say? No, for sure. Yeah. It's just that, like I said, people point to that verse as why we should go out and, and witness to people. Maybe that's not the best verse to go to for that. Oh, because yeah, why on an individual basis? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want, you don't want to give people the idea that they can go witness to somebody and then on the spot baptize them because they, they gave a confession no. of faith. You know what I mean? No, I wouldn't. Right. Wouldn't agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, some people have emphasized evangelism so much they get you onto a guilt trip. Like, well, I haven't shared Christ with anybody for two months. I'm really blowing it. You know, that type of thing. Um, but we should... These tasks, this Great Commission task, is 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 carried out as a church through the church and a body, because no one individual can do everything that's supposed to be done, and so what people need to do is they need to be in one of Christ's church, and we work together to do evangelism. We work together to do this. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the people that I've seen converted over the years here, it's a, it, you, can al- you can always count. There's like three, four, five people that are instrumental in any one conversion. You know, like I have the blessing of preaching to people, but I don't in- invite, I haven't invited these unbelievers here. Somebody else has invited the unbelievers here, and I have the blessing of preaching the gospel to them. But, you know, and, you know uh, 
someone invites a person and is kind to them and, and pers personal relationship. If I was talking about the gospel, they come, they come here to the church, they hear the gospel preached. Okay? Or they end up in our, our, our baptism slash gospel class. And it's like two or three people have all been involved in any one conversion. Um, and that's how it works. So, we, yeah, we have, to work at, we have to work as a church. Um, so, but, you know, we, we should be concerned to do evangelism and reach out to people in various ways. And um, it, it's just that the church has multiple things to do. <laughs> and what happens at times is people think, I call it the one key syndrome problem. And some think, if we just did evangelism and everybody did evangelism, everything would be fixed. <laughs> and another one comes along, and if we just did, I'm not picking on you, I know you're homeschoolers, okay, but, but they come along, if, if men would just lead their households, everything in the church will be fixed. That's all it takes, is we just got to get the men in this church to lead their households, and everything else is going to be, that's one key syndrome. Is it a good thing to evangelize? Absolutely. Is it a good thing for men to be leaders of the household? Absolutely. Now, if we could just get our doctrine correct, you know, if we could get, you know, the whole, if we can get everybody to subscribe to the 6989 confession and be subscriptionists, we're going to preserve the church. That's the one key syndrome. Doctrinal confession is important, but that alone isn't going to make your church. So just, we just have to keep Avoid the one key syndrome thing. That's, that's what I call it. And, um, yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, uh, let's pray. Father, uh, every, um, everything in this book is your word. And, and Lord, we, we do confess that we, we have a tendency to pick and choose at times. And uh, uh, some... Things get left out. So, Lord, we ask your patience and your forgiveness uh, for that. And, Lord, we, we desire to use the authority you've given us as we ought to. And, Lord, maybe sometimes we're, we're too self-centered because it costs, Lord. Uh, it costs to not just say smooth things all the time. Lord, help us say things smoothly, that is, with compassion. But uh, there are hard things, Lord, that you want us to say and to do. Uh, and Lord, give us a vision of the sending. Lord, we, we think we're powerless. We think we're you know, a minority or whatever. And when we read these things, it's like we're a kingdom of priests and kings in your sight. So, oh Lord, thank you uh, for doing that. And Lord, help us have balance between the things we ought to be emphasizing to use our resources and our gifts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for one another and, and the blessedness it is to be brothers and sisters in your Son. We pray in his name. Amen.